Welcome to the Redemption Channel. My name is Matthew, and we're in a series called Keep It Simple. Enjoy the message. Morning. Welcome back. It was weird not having church last week. I like just was thrown off all week. Lindsay and I looked at each other and said, this is the first time we've ever woken up on a Sunday as a married couple in Perrysburg, Ohio, and not gone to church. Um, and so it was, uh, you know, it was kind of a fun week or whatever. And a lot of you watched the sermon online. Uh, and we're in the middle of this series called Keep It Simple. And uh, the point of this series is to incorporate simple practices into our lives Uh, so as to help us keep in step with the Holy Spirit, so to be near Jesus and together as a church family. Uh, The twofold goal, again, at the end of this series and through this series is that we would be drawing nearer to Christ and more together as a church family. This is what we see all throughout the book of Acts. And so what we've been talking about are practices that we can incorporate into our lives to help us do this. This whole series is based off of Galatians 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's another way of saying if you are in the gospel, now live out the gospel. Throughout this series, I've been quoting uh, Tim Keller and his uh, definition of the gospel. He says, this is the gospel, that you and I are more deeply flawed and sinful than we dare believe, but more loved and accepted in Christ than we dare hope. And so out of this understanding of the gospel, now comes these practices. And so a few weeks ago, I talked about um, reading, studying, being in scripture, Hebrews 4.12, the living, active, spiritual weapon of war, the scriptures. It's as relevant today as it's ever been. And I hope you've added that into your life if it wasn't a part before, or it's uh, been given new meaning, even if it was a part of your life. Last week, uh, via YouTube, we talked about prayer that we have access to the decision maker because of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit wants to help us in our prayers. Well, this week, we're gonna talk about what could be arguably uh, the very first practice ever incorporated into the Christian faith, communion. And communion, even uh, in today's modern church, as the lights have gotten brighter and the jeans have gotten tighter and all of those types of things, one thing that still remains pretty meaningful is communion. This morning, I want to talk about why communion is meaningful. And I think some of it will be familiar, but there might be some of it that we've lost along the way that this practice that literally dates to the um, origins, the first day of Christianity, uh, this practice and why it has so much meaning. And even before we get into that, um, I want to also say that uh, that communion, we believe, is not just a a symbol of grace, it's an act of grace. What that means is this, it's it's not just uh, representative, it's transformative, the communion, actually, uh, the act of taking communion um, doesn't, it's not just symbolic of what has happened, it's part of it happening. There's, there's, there's power in the taking of it. Now, um, maybe you grew up in a culture or a church tradition where you took communion all the time, every week or so, or, or daily, or whatever it might be. Um, one of our elders, Frank, he grew up in the Catholic faith, and um, he just shared with me this week how uh, taking communion was always, uh, at an early age, it was a very daunting task, as in, am I okay to do this? Am I, am I good enough? 
Uh, there was a, another, uh, there's a retired pastor that comes to our church, and um, he said that he noticed after uh, a few months that there was a woman who was at church every single week, except the weeks they took communion. So he called me and said, why don't you show up on communion weeks? And she said, ah, because I'm not worthy to take communion. And maybe this idea is familiar to you. Of course, the idea of communion is that none of us are worthy. That's why it's so beautiful. Why is communion meaningful? Like, really, what, what gives it its meaning? I want to walk through a couple of passages in 1 Corinthians and actually all over the scriptures and uh, be teaching a little bit differently than normal. I have five points this morning um, that I want to give you, five reasons, five things that makes communion meaningful. And hopefully, these are things that will stick with you. Um, where main passage for this morning uh, would be 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, uh, which says this, these famous words um, for, uh, that Paul says, quoting Jesus, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, so here's Paul looking back on the night when Jesus instituted communion, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, when Christ instituted communion, he and his disciples were actually sitting down to celebrate something much different. Obviously not communion as we know it because Christ had yet to be crucified. They were sitting down to celebrate the Passover, uh, the, the biggest uh, and the most celebrated of the Jewish feasts that had begun um, centuries prior when the Jewish people were enslaved uh, to the Egyptians. And at the end of the 10 plagues, the 10th uh, the plague being the death of the firstborn, uh, this Passover that they were celebrating on this night with Jesus and his disciples um, commenced. Now, the Passover uh, represented that Jesus, or I'm sorry, that the Father uh, was going to protect anyone who would walk through a procedure. And what the Passover symbolized for the Jewish people was four things, that they were going to be brought out, uh, that they were going to be rescued from their uh, slavery, that they were going to be redeemed, and that God would now be their God, or that they would be his people. And uh, the way it worked, or the celebration worked, is on the, the week of Passover, uh, Jewish families would um, find a, a spotless, undefiled lamb. And they would go pick it out, like you and I would go to the store to pick out a dog or a cat or whatever. And so they would go and they would pick the lamb, the, the perfect spotless lamb. And they would do this a few days prior to the Passover meal. And there was a reason to it. They would do that so then they would bring the lamb into their home. So why? <laughs> they would fall in love with it, this cute little lamb. It would become not just a nameless sacrifice, but it would become their lamb. And so it would be in their house and for a few days and the kids would play with it and the family would get to know it. And then what would happen? Well, then Passover day would come and uh, individually the family had selected the lamb, but now corporately the entire nation or the neighborhood of the city would come together and all of the lambs would be sacrificed communally all at once. Then it was up to each individual family to take the blood of their lamb back to their house. 
And so you saw in this um, procedure and in this entire process, both individual acts by individual and individual families and communal or corporate acts of the entire body or the entire nation. And the disciples would have known this because they had practiced it every year of their lives. And so they sat down with Jesus on that day and they're walking through the Passover procedures and they get to the third cup, which is known as the cup of redemption. And in that moment, Jesus, the Jewish rabbi, deviates from the plan. Up until that point, for the most part, he had been walking through the Passover procedures. But he gets to this cup, the cup of redemption, the third cup that's referenced here in the text, and he changes course. Now, if you're a Jewish disciple, Jesus has already said some pretty crazy radical things. And now he's deviating from the Passover meal. This is a big deal. And so they watch Jesus as he says those famous words that we just read. And he institutes communion. And then all throughout the early church, we see believers taking communion together. And this practice has followed us, practiced different ways and um, some different meanings underneath communion for different branches of the Christian faith, but the practice has stayed true. So why is it meaningful? And what was Jesus doing when he deviated from the Passover meal? Well, verse 26 of the, uh, of the sequence of verses that I just read, is it's the next verse where I had just left off, and it says this, and this is the first reason that communion is meaningful. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, this is the point that we're probably most familiar with, that every time you and I participate in communion, we are proclaiming Jesus's death. Now, what does it mean to proclaim Jesus's death? It's not just to say, I believe that Jesus was a real factual human who died. History already agrees with that. No, when we proclaim Jesus' death, what we're saying is, I believe that Jesus' death, that the blood shed was absolutely essential to the salvation process. When we take communion and we proclaim Jesus' death, uh, what we are doing is in part um, combating false theology that says that the blood wasn't necessary for salvation that uh, the death wasn't even necessary, that God is some barbaric God who would kill his own son and none of it was necessary. Now, when we take communion and proclaim his death, what we're saying is we agree with Paul when he says, I know one thing, Christ and Christ crucified, that the blood shed is absolutely essential. Said another way, Jesus became the pure spotless lamb. Not a nameless sacrifice, but your pure, spotless lamb. And that his shed blood is absolutely essential to salvation. And so when you take communion, you're agreeing with the doctrine that Christ's blood is the covering and the propitiation for our sin. That it and it alone is the path to salvation. You're, of course, then, doing exactly what Christ said. You're remembering him giving up his life. This is what has given communion a somewhat somber feel. And when you take communion, typically there's a very somber type environment around it. And this is in part why. We're remembering Christ's death. 
body broken, blood shed. Communion is meaningful because it proclaims Christ's death because you're proclaiming Christ's death. Now, if we hop over, or actually, I guess, hop back uh, a chapter into 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, Paul begins his communion discussion back there. And in chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, he says this, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So many of us would know and recognize and probably acknowledge, yeah, uh, we take communion, we remember Christ's death, we proclaim his death as the sufficiency for salvation. But here, uh, Paul is adding something else. He uses this word participation. Participation in the death of Christ. And what does that mean? Well, Paul gives us a hint in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, Paul says this, verses 5 and 7. For if we have been united with him, that being Christ, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united or participate with him in a resurrection like his. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Why is communion meaningful? Because it reminds us that we participate in the death of Christ. We therefore then participate in the resurrection of Christ. Now we're used to this type of language, but we don't typically associate this type of language with the act of communion. We typically associate it with a different sacrament, baptism. And so we know in baptism, what? We go into the water, it symbolizes us dying as Christ died. We come out of the water, it symbolizes us resurrecting as Christ was resurrected. Well, what we have in baptism one time, we only get baptized one time as a follower of Christ, we actually have that same act every time we take communion. And so when you take communion, what you're reminding yourself of is that you participated in the death of Christ and that your sinful nature died just as Christ died. But as your sinful nature died, as you died as Christ died, guess what? He also resurrected. Which means when you take communion, you're not just um, reminding yourself of the death, you're also reminding yourself of the resurrection. In this way, then, uh, communion, when it says, do this in remembrance of me, how is the Christian supposed to remember Christ? Not dead, alive. Not Friday on the cross, but Sunday, standing fully alive. In this way, then, communion doesn't have a, a somber feel. Communion reminds us, reminds me, my dead self, but now the new self. Communion is meaningful because it reminds us of our participation in both his death and his resurrection. Now, if we um, continue to look at this passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it'll give us the other reasons why communion is meaningful. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body? So we're back into this conversation around the, you know, right, the, the, uh, the bread and the, um, and the cup or the, or the blood. Let's actually hop back over to verse or to chapter 11. This line right here. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, clearly Jesus is talking symbolically here, right? In the same way it is symbolic when he says, this is my body, which is for you, right? We don't believe that the, um, the bread is actually the body of Jesus because we don't believe that the cup 
actually is the new covenant, right? <laughs> like it's the same language there. And so if you, if you were to believe that the bread is actually the body of Jesus, then you would have to believe that the cup is actually the new covenant. It doesn't make sense. It's clearly symbolic. Now, in this, what we're seeing is that he says, this cup is the new covenant. Now, he's using language here that's really important. On a night when they're supposed to be celebrating um, the, the sealing of the old covenant or the, the freedom that they were given through the old Passover, through the law, right? On this night, Jesus chooses to institute something new, a new covenant, which means this. One of the reasons that communion is meaningful is it reminds us that we now live under and in a new covenant, a new covenant, which means the old covenant is lifted. Now, this is what the writer of Hebrews says about the old and the new covenant. I think these are some of the most overlooked but meaningful verses in all of scripture. For if that first covenant, what's he talking about? The old covenant, the Old Testament, whatever it is, however you want to look at it. For if that old covenant had been faultless, there you have a biblical writer saying, yeah, if everything that had been written in the old covenant, if all of that had it been enough, but it wasn't, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes, get this, the first covenants obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. In other words, what Jesus was doing on that night is he was saying, I have come and I have fulfilled the Passover. I am the Passover. I'm the greater Passover. And so the old covenant is gone. The new covenant is here. And so when you and I take communion, it reminds us now that we live entirely under grace and not law. It reminds us that we are adopted into the family of God, that all of the benefits of the new covenant are ours that we are his children, that we have access to the decision maker, that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we live under this new covenant. We're proclaiming his death. That's deeply meaningful. Christ's salvation or Christ's sacrifice for my salvation, right? <laughs> We're enjoying now and seeing fully the benefits of the new covenant that they're ours. And when we take communion, we're reminded of that, which means when we take communion, we're reminded that we don't live under law, the power of the law anymore, that we live in a covenant that doesn't just modify behavior. It transforms us from the inside out. The act of communion, right? The act of taking it, then it reminds us of this. And I think spiritually, it actually yeah, it begins to change us into it. Communion reminds us we have all the benefits of the new covenant. It's another reason it's meaningful. So that's the, um, uh, in particular, he was talking there about the blood, that the blood is what brings in the new covenant, right? The, and he's comparing it clearly to the old blood of the old lamb. That was the old covenant. This is the new blood of the new covenant. And so when you drink of the cup, which is representation of the blood, then you remind yourself, I live under the new covenant. But then what of the bread? Well, the bread teaches us uh, another thing. Now, Jesus said a lot about bread. Right? He was not keto-friendly. Jesus loved bread. In fact, he talked about it in one of his most talked about subjects. But every time he was talking about bread to his Jewish listeners, what they were hearing is, ah, I remember when our ancestors were very physically hungry and God provided for them via bread from heaven. But after he tells those stories, Jesus switches it into a spiritual purpose and he says, I am the bread. He says, I am the bread of life. 
So when you drink the blood or the uh, the juice, you don't drink the blood. When you drink the juice representation of the blood, you remind yourself, I live in the new covenant. When you eat the bread, what do you remind yourself? That Jesus is the full satisfaction of all that I need spiritually. So every time you, you have the bread in your hands and you eat it, what you're saying is this. I don't need to chase idols. I don't need to chase after other things to satisfy me spiritually. All that I need is in Christ and Christ alone. He is my bread. He is what spiritually sustains me. You see this process of going through communion? You get it, you get the elements out in front of you and you, once you have them, even you haven't even participated, you, you have them and you're, you're, you're saying out to anyone or to yourself, I believe in Jesus as my salvation. When I take this, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna realize and remind myself that I am no longer under the old covenant, that I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to Jesus. And when, I, uh, when that bread hits my mouth, when I taste it, it's gonna be a reminder to me that Jesus is all that I need spiritually. It's all that I need. That's deeply, deeply meaningful individually. I grew up in three great churches very grateful for all of them. And um, we took communion together, and I was taught uh, meanings of communion. Um, one thing I don't remember learning, and I'm not saying it wasn't taught, I just don't remember learning it, was um, that com communion is communal, not just because it's relational between God and I. It's communal because it's communal. In fact, as we see communion uh, happen, both on the night that it's instituted and throughout the early church in the book of Acts, as we see communion um, um, playing itself out, what we see is not an individual experience. It, it, it's not you and your communion. It's something that happens within the family of Christ, within the body, the church. Paul, starting in chapter 10, going into verse 11, and we see this in verse 17, he says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. What Paul is doing here is he's setting up the communal or relational nature of communion. Like when the Israelites had all gotten their sheep and they would all walk out and they would all see them slaughtered together. There was a communal side of it. There's a communal side to communion. He says, when, when we take communion, we are reminding ourselves of our participation in the family of Christ. That communion is meaningful because it reminds us, but it doesn't just reminds us, remind us, it, it, it professes publicly that we are in the body of Christ. Now, many of us are familiar with the passage in 1 Corinthians that Paul talks about, um, and it's the passage that has gotten many of us to say, well, I don't know if I should take communion. 
right? It talks about pouring judgment on if your heart's not right and all of that kind of stuff. And here's what that is typically meant for us. If you have sin that's unrepentant in your heart, don't take communion, right? Better confess first, better repent first. It's not bad advice. And we should take communion as a moment to stop and to pause and to repent. It's important. It's good. It's a good idea. But as Paul goes in to discuss why it is that the church in Corinthians is not operating communion the way they ought, he doesn't talk about individual unrepented sin. What he talks about is communion operating in such a way that doesn't align with the, um, the way the church is supposed to be set up as a family. Paul's problem with the way the Corinthians are taking communion is that it's not communal. It's not the family of Christ coming together. Why is communion meaningful then? Communion is meaningful because when you and I take communion, it's a way of saying, I'm in to this body. I am in, in the body of Christ, and I will participate as a member of the body ought to. See, communion was um, transformed through the years, the way it happened, right? And then we saw a practice get instituted where uh, only certain people could offer communion to people, right? A practice that we do not see in the scriptures anywhere. In fact, what we see in the scriptures is a bunch of people taking communion in homes, and I promise you, all of those homes didn't have pastors living in them, all right? So um, this practice began to be formed, and, and, and what was once a group meeting where anyone could get together uh, if they were one in Christ and would take communion uh, together as a way of saying, um, we're in this together, became something that became um, top-down and individualistic. As in you take communion and you go back to your seat and you dwell about Jesus and you think about Jesus and you thank him for, uh, you thank him for your salvation. And that's communion. But that's not what Jesus did on the first night. And it's not what we see happen throughout the rest of the book of Acts. In fact, what happened prior to Jesus instituting communion is Jesus was following through the procedures of the Passover. And one of the things he did as the leader of the group is during this process, got down and he washed their feet. As if to say what the leader's supposed to do is not stand in a place of positional authority and say, I will now allow you to do something, but is supposed to get on their knees and serve people. that if I were to take communion in front of each and every one of you, that what that is supposed to be saying is this, all that I am and all that I have is yours. Every penny that is mine is yours. Every talent and gift is yours. See, that the nature of the church as family, which is the only church that exists in the scriptures. Just because there are, are images of church that exist now that we label church doesn't mean that they are what church is. There is only one body. There is only one 
type of church or one church, and that is church as family. That's the only one that actually exists in reality. Communion is meaningful then in this way, that when you take communion, and what Paul was saying in Acts, or in 1 Corinthians about when you and I take communion is this. Don't take communion if you're not actually willing to be a part of the church in the way you're supposed to be. That's the condemnation. That's when God is saying, I'll pour it out. And he said, I don't believe you. Why did he kill Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts? Why did he pour out judgment on them? Because they said, we want to be a part of the church, but we also want to be selfish. And God made it very clear right at the beginning, yet that's not going to work. So instead of letting Ananias and Sapphira just infiltrate the church with their selfishness, he just killed them. Which means when you and I take communion and we make it individualistic and we just say, okay, so I've repented of all of my hidden sin. Now I can take communion and we're cool. But I will operate within the context of the body selfishly. According to Paul, that pours out condemnation. The thing to repent of. Yeah, it is repentance sin. But what it is more is selfishly trying to live in the context of the church family. Which means when you take communion, what you're doing is you're looking at your body and you're saying, all that I have is yours. Every penny every talent, every skill. When you're down, I'm down. When you're up, I'm up. When you're out, I'm going to get you. When you fall, I pick you back up. When you need forgiveness, I give it. When you fail, love covers a multitude of sins. I had a rift once with a fellow Christian and I had called them and said, hey, will you come take communion? And they said, no, I knew that's when it was over. Because at that moment, what that person is saying is, I don't even want Jesus to fix this. Communion should be the first thing that happens when division begins to occur. Because when you take the cup, when you take the bread, you're saying, above anything else, and above all else, Jesus brings us together. That's, that's why communion is meaningful. So we're going to take communion. Some of you are guests here. Well, in our house, we treat guests like family. So if you're like, I don't know if I can take it, <laughs> um, you can, your family, your guests. For others, this is what I would say. I want you to take communion right now. I also want you, when you take it, to be committing 
to what it's supposed to represent. The body. Amen. Because that's what communion is all about. It's a body unifying around Jesus. So, music's fun. Grayson, come on up. Here's how we're going to do this. A little different than normal because uh, we said we want to incorporate these practices into our lives. By the way, um, it's a practice that can be in your life. I mentioned Frank earlier and his story about communion as a young child. Well, now Frank and his wife take communion every morning together as a practice, right? As a practice. Why? Because you don't need a pastor. You don't need a priest. Really, I think what you need is one other believer. One other believer that you're looking at and saying, all that I have is yours. All that I am is yours. So we're going to take communion, but we're going to take it as a family. And so all along the lines, and I don't care who leads this, right? I planted a couple people and said, help out here so things don't get weird, but I don't really care who leads it. We're going to take communion how they would have taken it because it's a practice I want to see incorporated into your life, not just here all the time. Like, I don't want you to just read your Bible and pray when you're here. (laughs) I want you to just take communion when you're here. So there's um, high sugar juice, okay? Um, There's some bread. It is not gluten-free, but God will protect you, okay? I don't know if that's true. Don't, I I don't know, okay? Um, And you're gonna gather up in groups of 10 or so and take communion together. So stand up, make a circle, somebody lead it, and take communion. Thanks for watching this video. We hope you'll join us for one of our services on Sunday at 9 or 10.30 a.m. in the Levis Commons Movie Theater. Now with the new year come new things. So if you want to find out more about our church, visit us at our new web address, experienceredemption.com. Have a great week.